Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL. We're ramping up in Super Bowl week. We'll be discussing our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will talk about the NBA. Then we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to follow the social media handle at Sports. And, and that is on all social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and tell your friends about the Justin Time Sports Podcast, which, of course, can be found on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. It is Super Bowl week. The Super Bowl is in two days uh, between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles uh, in that beautiful, beautiful football stadium. Uh, people say it doesn't even feel like a football stadium. It feels like an uh, art museum, a work of art itself. Uh, it's like you're playing football in the uh, Sistine Chapel. But you just so happen to have, you know, some grass, some players, some pads going on. Um, beautiful sidelines. It's the canopy roof. It's not even a dome. It's a canopy. Um, they had to build it according to airport Los Angeles rules. SoFi Stadium is absolutely spectacular. Most expensive stadium in North America. I believe the price tag was $5.5 billion. Um, and that's counting the stuff you see above ground and below. They had to dig down because of the airport rules and stuff. going to be so high above sea level. Anyway, it's a lot of stuff that went down with that stadium. Uh, also, the NBA trade deadline was yesterday. We had a blockbuster trade there. Of course, we're going to talk about that. Um, the Winter Olympics are happening right now. So it's, just, it's a cornucopia of sport uh, throughout the world. And that's, you know, I received the Super Bowl. And then uh, the NBA is nearing All-Star break in a couple of weeks. We had the hilarious All-Star draft. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that as well. Um, lots of stuff happening right now in the world of sports. Of course, when we start this show, what do we talk about, guys? We talk about football first is what we do here. Um, So the NFL is going to be our first topic. And, of course, we are roaring to Super Bowl 56. Um, Absolutely massive game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Um, History is everywhere in this game. Uh, Joe Burrow's aiming to be the first quarterback in the history of football. So think about the NFL has been going on 100 years. Um, and college football has been going on longer than that. And this is the 56th Super Bowl. So I guess it's a 56-year history. He's aiming to be the first quarterback to ever possess a national championship in college, a Heisman Trophy in college, and a Super Bowl championship. No other NFL quarterback, no other quarterback in the history of Earth, no other human that has ever walked this planet possesses all three of those things. So Joe Burrow is aiming to be the first to do that. Um, he's aiming to be a very short list of second-year quarterbacks to win the Super Bowl. Um, Matt Stafford, conversely, is aiming to put the blame on Detroit. And I think a lot of people are blaming Detroit for Matt Stafford's demise or his losing record. I believe he was 16 games under 500 uh, during his time in Detroit, made the playoffs three times, was 0-3 in those playoffs. Um, and so even having Calvin Johnson, 
but they are tr- so a lot of people were blaming you know i talked to people they were saying oh matt stafford's a losing quarterback you got guys like rob parker calling him stat padford that you know oh you know yeah matt stafford those five thousand yards and they go six and ten because most of the yards are in garbage time etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know a lot of a lot of detroit fans were happy for him you know you see the stuff online like there was a popular video that a detroit fan uh, was over the moon excited when the Rams uh, won the NFC Championship, Championship game because a lot of Detroit fans understand. Like, yo, it wasn't us. Um, I've done a podcast. You guys, you guys want to do that podcast on YouTube Sunday mornings. Um, and one of the guys popped on there, I believe it's CA Sports Talk, I think it's his handle. Um, he was discussing the fact that he's a Detroit Lions fan and he was really happy for Stafford. You know, that's the common thing. You get people like Rob Parker who want to be. Um, hot take who want to have a flaming opinion on something they they say stuff like oh he's that Pafford and da, da, da. I mean he won the NFC and he still had negative things to say so that that guy's just he's just that guy you know there's a fan base in every situation like that there's fans in every fan base there's New England Patriots fans that wanted to see Tom Brady fail I was not one of those fans I feel I want him to win every game with the one he played against New England I was rooting for him every Sunday, except the ones he played against the Patriots. He only played one. I rooted against him. He beat us. It is what it is. Um, now he's off into retirement. But this game is going to be has his. This game has historical ramifications everywhere. Um, Aaron Donald, first player in modern NFL history to have seven straight first-team All Pros. Um, you know his 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 resume is ridiculous. He can. He's arguably top five defensive player of all time already, and he's 30. You know, it's not a situation where he's 35, 36. He's 30. Um, and so when you've got he's 30 years old, keeps himself in great shape. He's probably got eight, nine. I, I give him five or six more great years um, to the um, be a dominant player with the Los Angeles Rams. Maybe just in the NFL in general, not necessarily with the Rams. Because, you know, if you look at a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys at the top, Lawrence Taylor has a Super Bowl ring. He's considered widely as the greatest defensive player ever. Um, some may even say that he's the greatest player in NFL history. Um, Tom Brady's obviously in that discussion. Jerry Rice is in that discussion. Um, but some even have him as the greatest player in NFL history. He's got a Super Bowl ring. It's part of that Parcells defense. However, Bruce Smith doesn't. Um, Reggie White I believe he might with the Packers. I came off the top of my head. Reggie White might have a ring, but it's only one if he does. Uh, Deion Sanders has a few, has a couple. He has two or three. Um, so he's he's definitely in that argument as well. But for the guys who look at the dominant pass rushers, Aaron Donald has a better resume saying championships than all of them. I mean, Bruce Smith has 200 sacks, which is incredibly impressive as a 3-4 defensive end. Um, and of course, Reggie White is Reggie White. Pretty much started modern free agency. And so um, Aaron Donald's got some large shoes to fill, but he's done a very good job in filling them so far. Like I said, the seven straight all pros. He's got the rookie of the year. He's got the defensive players of the year. I think three of them. Um, he's been a, he's been to one Super Bowl already, had a pretty quiet game that game. And now he's coming in for his second Super Bowl. Um, and so absolutely great player there. Jalen Ramsey wants to put his name up in the upper echelons of cornerbacks all time. Um, he's got several of the all pros and the pro bowls etc but now he's trying to get his super bowl you know matt stafford we talked about him he's trying to get to a level where he is going to be revered as one of the top quarterbacks of all time and you probably think of man matt stafford one of the best ever eli manning is going to be in the hall of fame 
Eli Manning career win percentage is literally 50. It's 124, 124, 112, 112, something of that nature. But it is literally 50%. He has two Super Bowl championships. He also led the league in interceptions three times. Matt Stafford has 50,000 yards. He has, um, he's top 15 in touchdowns all time. He still has a negative win percentage. However, if he wins Sunday, he has a better win percentage in the playoffs than Aaron Rodgers. He would have four wins compared to three losses, which is 57% compared to Aaron Rodgers, who is 11 wins and 10 losses, which is 55-ish percent. Um, he'll have a better win percentage than Aaron Rodgers. He would have a Super Bowl ring, same as Aaron Rodgers. Um, he won't have the MVPs, obviously, but he will have stats and winning to back up the fact that he'll be a Hall of Famer. And then, of course, you play another two years in the system, pile up another 4,000 yards, a couple more years. You might, you might hit 60,000 yards. Now you're looking at 60,000 yards with a Super Bowl. He's one of the best-seen quarterbacks of all time. Um, and so that's what Matt Stafford's playing for. And the Rams in general. Sean McVay can stamp his name as the future of the league. Because think about it. His coaching tree is impressive. Now, Kyle Shanahan has a tree as well. Kyle Shanahan's tree includes Sean McVay. Um, it includes Matt LaFleur. Um, it includes or somebody else on that staff. So I can't think of it right now. But there, oh, um, Mike McDaniel, who just got hired for the Dolphins. It includes him as well for Kyle Shanahan's tree, which is it's off the branch of Mike Shanahan's tree. Um, but Sean McVay has spurned off a few coaches as well. Um, Brandon Staley for the Chargers is a Sean McVay disciple. Zach Taylor for the Bengals, who he's coaching against, is off the Sean McVay tree. Um, so there's a few coaches now that Sean McVay starting to splatter around the league. And so this would be huge for him to stamp his name in the future. Because so for I me, mean, the old guard is fading out. Bill Belichick has his tree of guys, but... None of them have been very successful. The most successful one technically has been Brian Flores. He got fired uh, inexplicably. And so Josh McDaniels is getting his second crack at it to see if he can put it together. And then Andy Reid's disciples haven't done that. I mean, Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl ring. I will say Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl ring. Um, Matt Nagy didn't work in Chicago. Um, You know, like I said, Doug Peterson is the most successful assistant that's out there. And he has a Super Bowl ring, but he was fired unceremoniously two years later. And so McVeigh has an opportunity to stamp his name as the future of the uh, NFL in terms of the coach, in terms of the coach, the leader of the new school. Um, and I said it was McVeigh. Shanahan had an opportunity to take it. Shanahan actually owns McVeigh in terms of head to head competition. But when it mattered the most, um, Sean McVay is about to head coach his second Super Bowl. Shanahan has coached into, but one was as an offensive coordinator blowing the famous 28-3 lead against the New England Patriots. And the uh, second one was blowing the 20-10 lead against the Kansas City Chiefs. But flipping to the Bengals side, a lot of history can be made over that. Not so much on defense. Not so much on the defense. Um, no real historical aspects on the defense. But on the offensive side, they have plenty of historical moments. Um, Joe Burrow can complete the greatest three-year quarterback stretch ever. We spoke about it earlier where he's the only quarterback. He's going to, he's going for the only quarterback ever to win a national championship, a Heisman, and a Super Bowl championship. He's trying to do that in three years. Because in 2019, he won the national championship with the greatest season a quarterback has ever had in college football, and I will say on the greatest team ever in college football, the 2019 LSU team, where he won the national championship and the Heisman, throwing to the Belitnikoff winner, Jamar Chase, 
Um, comes in his rookie year in 2020 with the Bengals. Tears his ACL. Uh, thanks to Chase Young's sack. Tears his ACL. Uh, tackle. Tears his ACL. Out. Comes in. First full year as a starter. He's standing. He's walking into a very warm SoFi Stadium. Reportedly, it could be 84 degrees. And we spoke about the SoFi's beautiful construction. Well, part of that construction included no air conditioning because, of course, technically it's outside. Now, it is climate controlled, quote unquote. The glass roof is designed to reduce heat and kind of balance out the climate. Um, and then, of course, the open end style canopy allows wind to blow through. But it's supposed to be a 84 degree dead, no wind situation. It's going to be a warm Super Bowl. Especially because it kicks off at 3.30 local time. So the sun will be up. If not all the game, it probably won't fall behind the stadium until after halftime. Um, so that'll be very interesting in terms of the halftime show. It'll be warm. And the game itself. Who's going to... Will there be mass fatigue in the first half? But back to the Bengals. Like I said, Joe Burrow is trying to pull off the greatest three-year stretch a quarterback's ever had. And he's even more impressively trying to pull it off trying to do historical career achievements, lifetime achievements in a span of three years. And we and I've seen it on national media a few times, and I actually agree. Joe Burrow wins this game. He's the best quarterback in football. I mean, the throne's open. Think about it. Tom Brady's gone. Aaron Rodgers, okay. Flames out. In this, I mean, he's, he's turning into Peyton Manning with less postseason success, which... It's almost hard to do considering Peyton Manning's level of postseason success. Um, Russell Wilson injured. Pat Mahomes beat by Burrow twice this year. The throne's open. Now, you can look at it and say, why, why can't Matt Stafford make that claim? Matt Stafford can't make that claim because you have to see him do it again. And Joe Burrow hadn't done it again either. But remember, they were trying to put the crown on Mahomes' head after one year of doing it. So why can't Joe Burrow get the same treatment? So I think if Burrow wins this game, he's the best quarterback in football, or he should be regarded that way. Um, he'll definitely be sitting on the throne. There's there there would be at worst an oligarchy ruling the future of the NFL, and that's Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow. With Josh Allen being in the third seat because Mahomes would have a ring and an MVP, so I guess they put him first with four straight AFC Championship games, a ring, two Super Bowl appearances, and an MVP. And a 5,050 season. Joe Burrow would be sitting next to him, which would be the Super, uh, Super Bowl champion, presumably Super Bowl MVP, and that great three-year stretch. Josh Allen next to them. Um, all the physical talent in the world just hasn't quite put it together in a mass winning. Um, and so, and, and that's not even counting your Lamars, your Kylers. Russell Wilson's still fairly young. Matt Stafford is just a hair over 30. You know, there's still plenty of guys. Who knows if Trevor Lawrence get his life together under Doug Peterson? Um, there's plenty of guys around. Mac Jones was in a Pro Bowl. So there's plenty of guys um, around that could challenge those three. But in my opinion, those three to be in front, um, holding down, holding the torch for the next generation of quarterbacks. And so I am very, very excited for this game. Very excited for Joe Burrow having that opportunity. I'm an LSU alumni, so is Joe. So I got a special place in my heart for him. Um, but he's definitely got a chance to be great. Jamar Chase, another one of the LSU guys. And I spoke about they were on the team 2019 together. Jamar Chase could complete the greatest rookie season a receiver's ever had. He got Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was had some some consideration for Offensive Player of the Year. Um, he, again, he was on the 2019 team with the winning of Belitnikov. Now he's got an opportunity to be in the Super Bowl. He's 
I think he has the most yards already for one or for a rookie. I know he got the most yards for a rookie in one postseason, and he's within range for the most yards a receiver's ever had in a postseason. Um, he's in range for touchdowns as well. And so with a guy like Jamar Chase, that would be his absolutely historic. You've got Andrew Whitworth, uh, who's the oldest left tackle to ever start in the Super Bowl. He could win at 40 years old, walk into the sunset and retire. Um, you've got guys like Joe Mixon, who's the ultimate redeem story. Had the incident in college, dropped his draft stock, uh, put a damper on the start of his career. Lands in Cincinnati, which is a place he wasn't going to go had he went in his proper drive spot. And now he's got one of the best quarterbacks, if not after winning Sunday, the best quarterback in the NFL in Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor, six months ago, was on death row. I mean, like, for lack of a better term, like, I, I, he was on death row. Everybody in the league waited on him to get fired. He was something like 6-26, pre-Burrow. Um, he kind of was just languishing around. There, were, there was no – people was wondering if he could coach. Up until two weeks ago, people were still wondering if he can coach. Um, and so now you've got Joe Burrow and his job, like, it's safe as long as Joe Burrow is standing upright and healthy. It's just on the other side, Sean McVay, if he loses another one, we're looking like, man, <laughs> he lost another one, you know. And the first lose, there's no shame in losing to Bill Belichick. None. First with Todd Gurley's knees generating, you had Jared Goff. You were, what, second-year coaching? You got to the Super Bowl. You played Belichick and Brady. You lost 13-3. There's no shame in that. There would be shame, however, if you lose with Matthew Stafford, Vaughn Miller, Odell Beckham. Vaughn Miller going for his second ring, by the way. Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Leonard Floyd, Cooper Cup, Offensive Player of the Year, left tackle Andrew Whitworth, Walter Payton Man of the Year, against Joe Burrow, the rest of the kids in Cincinnati and your protege, your assistant coach, which something Belichick never does lose assistant coaches, your assistant coach, Zach Taylor, in the Super Bowl, in your home stadium of SoFi. That would be bad. And so there's a lot of different historical places here. Um, and just think about it in context. If you think about it, Sean McVay wins. Is he the best coach in the league? Right this second. I'm not talking about historically great coach. I'm not talking about who's the greatest coach ever. That's obviously Bill Belichick. And I have a very good argument for Andy Reid being in the top three. Mike Tomlin's got to be in the top ten. You know, so it's kind of like, yeah, historically, Sean McVay wouldn't be there. But Sean McVay would have a shot. And so like Joe Burrow being said he's the best quarterback, you could Sean McVay could say I'm the best coach. And you got an argument? I mean, I've been in the five years he's been a head coach of the Rams. He's been in two Super Bowls, won one, spurned off, and off two offensive players of the year. Um... <laughs> it's sort of like carry Jerry Goff to a Super Bowl. Um, do I'll do a Patrick Mahomes in that Monday night game? He he would have a very very, and I do mean very legitimate argument as the best coach in the NFL. Um, there's so many different storylines here. Um, Les Snead, the general manager, would be a made man for life. Stan Kroenke, who's the Rams owner. Would finally win one. He's not doing very good in European soccer. He'd finally win one. However, the owner of the Bengals, notoriously cheap, um, he would get a he would have a Super Bowl championship trophy in Paul Brown Stadium, which, in and of itself, doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth. Um, so many, so many historical points here. The Bengals have never won a Super Bowl. The last one they were in is 31 years ago. Um, the Los Angeles Rams, I don't recall them ever winning either. 
uh, greatest show on turf was the St. Louis Rams. The greatest show on turf lost the Patriots. Greatest show on turf two, which was that golf girly team lost to the Patriots. They lose to the Patriots a lot. Um, and I don't recall them in history ever going to another one. So this would be their first or first or second, maybe uh, Super Bowl championship uh, for their organization. There is so many things that are ready to roll in this game. And I cannot wait to see it happen. We will not pick a winner. We're going to do a next segment, Jack's Pack, obviously. Um, and there's some prop bets I'm interested in as well. You guys take pay attention to um, this weekend. But now we're going to do a quick run through of the NFL awards. No shockers last night. Um, no one was shocked by anything. I mean, that was a kind of a baby shock, I guess, the Offensive Player of the Year. Um, although in hindsight, okay. Um, I see why you did it. I probably wouldn't have done it, but I see why you did it. Um, and so the NFL MVP for the second year in a row, Green Bay uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Um, no arguments from me. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been upset if it was Brady. because Brady had the lead early, but Rodgers had a, another historical 37 touchdown, four interception kind of year. Um, kind of can't deny it. It's, it's, but it's going to turn into Russell Westbrook where he does it next year and it's going to be like, okay, well, that's normal for you. So your so you're, so you're standard change. Offensive player of the year. We spoke about it a couple minutes ago. Los Angeles Rams receiver Cooper Cup was the OPOY. Uh, defensive player of the year was TJ Watt in tw- 15 games. So remember, everybody spoke about the records being broken because of the extra game. In 15 games, he tied Michael Strahan's sack record. So in, in two less games than he was eligible for, but one less game than Michael Strahan did it, he had 22 and a half sacks. Really thought he was going to get it. They kind of took a sack away from him in the game, um, in, the, in the Week 17 game. Had he not missed those two, three games, he would have easily broken the record. So I expect him to have a hell of a shot at next year. Comeback player of the year, Joe Burrow. That was pretty much obvious. It was between him and Dak early. Dak fell off. Joe kept rolling. So Joe Burrow. And the Walter Payton man of the year, Andrew Whitworth. Um, so from now through his retirement, which could be one game, but he will, I believe he'll wear the patch in the Super Bowl. I believe he was eligible to wear the Walter Payton Man of, Man of the Year trophy patch, which is on your jersey through your retirement for the rest of your career. But I'm pretty sure he gets the patch. Um, so he's a 40-year-old left tackle. I'm sure if he wins, P doesn't come back. It just it, it wouldn't be, how do you get better than that? I'm the oldest to ever start this. I'm the oldest to ever start that. I'm the oldest to ever start this. And I win a Super Bowl. I don't think anything left for Andrew Whitworth to do. It would be a 17, 18-year NFL career capped off with a Super Bowl championship. I don't think anything left for him to do, but who knows? He may come back. Oh, and coach of the year was Tennessee Titans' Mike Vrabel, another one of those not shockers. He got the Tennessee Titans led by Ryan Tannehill to the first seed without Derrick Henry for two, two and a half months. So kudos to them. But up next, we're going to jump into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. It'll be the Super Bowl. We will pick it with the Bengals and the Rams.
Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to continue, of course, with the Super Bowl, of course, with the NFL. Of course, it's our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We missed on the Pro Bowl. Um, that had its own drama with the Alvin Kamara situation, which was utterly ridiculous. Um, first of all, he needs to find some new friends because your friends are there to keep you from doing dumb stuff like that, not to incite and help you do the dumb stuff. Uh, when you're rich and you're the breadwinner and you're the money train, they're supposed to keep you good so they can continue on that money train, not jump in and make the fight for you. Alvin Kamara, find some better friends. However, yeah, that was, oh, also that's the best here the Super Bowl. I'm a Pro Bowl. I'm kidding. That was wrong. Um, I'm not kidding. That was the best hit of the Pro Bowl, but it's still wrong. Um, my sincerest apologies on that. However, get some better friends, Alvin Kamara. But back to the Super Bowl. We are going to pick it. Um, the betting line right now, according to BetMGM, which is the site I'll be using for all of the following bets and or player props. Uh, the current line for the game is Bengals plus four, uh, Rams minus four, however you want to look at it. And I went back and forth on this number. I went back and forth. Because at first, my logic brain, my logical side, my logical side is telling me Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and the rest of that front four, Von Miller and the crew, are going to absolutely wreck this game. Because anytime we've ever seen a blowout in the Super Bowl, it's always because one team physically cannot block the other. The Seattle Seahawks were physically unblockable by the Denver Broncos. Peyton Manning got destroyed 43-8. Another game I remember that was two games in recent memory. Happened to be with the same left tackle or the same offense tackle, Mike Rimmers. Mike Rimmers could not block Von Miller in Super Bowl, the Cam Newton Super Bowl, 51 maybe? Couldn't block Mike Rimmers. 51, 52, something like that. Von Miller was Super Bowl MVP. Peyton Manning could do nothing. He was he was done. He was retired. He was walking off to the sunset. But Von Miller was Super Bowl MVP. Why? Because he annihilated Mike Rimmers. Conversely, Mike Rimmers got annihilated again. But that because the Chiefs offensive line was hurt, Rimmers had to start, and the Bucks went crazy all over Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs physically unblockable. The Bucks blew the Chiefs out. So my brain is telling me the Bengals have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Joe Burrow got sacked the most in the league. He's the first quarterback ever to get lead the league in sacks and lead the league in sacks taken and be in the Super Bowl. Um that was it's just there's so many blinking red lights at me that the Rams are going to win this game and win it comfortably way more than four there's also on the other side of my brain blinking purple and gold lights that say Joe Burrow has been pulling it out he got sacked nine times against the he got sacked nine times against the Tennessee Titans and won and then the offensive line held up pretty solid against the Chiefs. That's a good pass rush over there. They got Chris Jones. They got Frank Clark. They got a pretty good pass rush. No time Matthew sent off the edges, but a pretty decent pass rush. Joe Burrow won. That defense held Patrick Mahomes to three after the middle of the second quarter. Four. If it's three and a half, if it's three. 
it's easily Bengals. If it's three and a half, I don't know. At four, it gets to a tricky point. But I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals plus four in this game. And, and if I'm betting it, I pick them to win it outright. But I'm definitely picking plus four. I've got the Cincinnati Bengals plus four in this football game. Um, maybe it's my alumni stat is coming out. Maybe it is the fact that Joe Burrow seems to be the next Tom Brady. I'm a huge Brady fan. Maybe it's just the fact that for some reason this kid won't quit. Um, and kid, where the he's a, a few months older than me, but there's some reason this kid won't quit. This team believes in him. They've got no blink in them because of him. I've got the Bengals plus four. Um, I could be in the first half going, damn, that was dumb. <laughs> but I, but I've got the Bengals plus four in this game. Um, very excited for them. Um, I think the Bengals are going to do it. I think the Cincinnati Bengals. Worse than I thought I would say. The Cincinnati Bengals will be Super Bowl champions. That that's what I that's that's what I'm going with. Everything about this game is yelling Rams. It is. It's yelling Rams, except for two things. Joe Burrow won't quit. We've seen Matt Stafford crumble. Joe Burrow hasn't crumbled since I don't know, came out the wound. And we know for a fact that if that pass rush can be neutralized early, they'll get tired. Aaron Donald feels like a momentum player. Von Miller can pop randomly. Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd feel like momentum rushers. And what I mean is, if they realize they got a weakness fast, they'll just pick at it. And they'll keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. If you get through the first quarter, quarter and a half, especially the first half, if Eminem's on the stage rapping and Aaron Donald's quiet, the Bengals have a shot. Because then you have 30 minutes, 30, 35 minutes, to completely rest your offensive line, to get them ready, to talk about what they might do in the second half. At the same time, you give Aaron Donald 30 minutes to recharge, but if he's already frustrated, the, the thing you want him to do is be frustrated and come right back out if you're the Rams defensive coordinator pissed because now you're thinking nobody can block him. Now he wants to come right out. You do not want him sitting and thinking, damn, I'm, still, I'm getting blocked. Damn, I'm getting blocked. Damn, I'm getting blocked. Conversely, I think the halftime is going to slow down the pass rush on the Rams side as well because let's say they get to Burrow three or four times in the first half. You're on fire. Everything's working. Everything's working. And I got to sit for 30 minutes and just sit and sit and sit twice as long, if not more. Well, it's twice as long than the standard halftime. And sit and sit and sit. And I'm just ruined to go back to go. Well, eventually, you got to go back on the field, ramp back up. Now the Bengals have the second half. Uh, had a halftime, extended halftime to get their life together. I've got the Bengals winning this game outright, 27-24. Joe Burrow would be your Super Bowl MVP um, and complete the greatest three-year stretch in the history of football. I mean, that's just you know, it is what it is. National championship, leading the greatest team ever, winning the Heisman with the greatest season ever, and the Maxwell and the Davey O'Brien. Turn right around two years later, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP with the Bengals of all teams. Um, it, there, There's no denying what he would be. But I am looking at some player prop bets on MGM. Of course, we, we talked about this, guys, on MGM. Um, just looking at some things. There's some quarterback prop bets that are out there. So passing touchdowns, or passing yards, rather. Um, both of the numbers seem a little low. Matt Stafford's 279.5 and Joe Burrow's 272.5. I'll take the over on both of those. Those feel like very good to me. Um, 
Then there's, of course, individual section props, such as like uh, both quarterbacks going over 300 for both of them have pretty good odds. I wouldn't touch 400 on either one. Um, then looking at the receivers in terms of receiving yards, Odell Beckham's at 63 and a half. That feels like an easy over. Um, you've got Tyler Boyd at 43 and a half. Another feels like easy over. So there's some really good prop bets, uh, especially on bet MGM. And I'm sure a lot of the other numbers are pretty close to this. So if you have a different thing, obviously go for it. Um, you know, points, kicking points made. Evan McPherson, seven and a half. This, the kicking points made for both is seven and a half. Matt Gay and Evan McPherson. So think about it. That's two field goals. Three field goals is over both of them. However, if it's all touchdowns, neither one to get to seven and a half. So that's a very interesting thing there. I had 27-24, which would make Evan McPherson over seven and a half, but Matt Gate under seven and a half. So um, just keep your eye on that, obviously. Kickoff will be 535 Central Standard Time. So that's 635 Eastern, 335 on the West Coast, which is where it will be hosted. But again, the big number, and of course, the game we are all picking, it is Bengals plus four. Bengals plus four for over the Rams in the Super Bowl. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and the drama that was. Welcome back into the show. Oh man, the NBA trade day line. I love it every year. It never disappoints. It always gives you something to talk about. Whether it's teams doing big things, James Harden and Ben Simmons being traded for each other. Whether it's teams doing nothing, the Los Angeles Lakers staying at the wall, New York Knicks staying at the wall. Whether it's teams doing minor, major things. The New Orleans Pelicans trading with CJ McCollum. There is always something there. There's always something. Of course, there's other big moves. We'll talk about all the moves. We're going to discuss them all. Uh, we're going to discuss all the major ones anyway. The ones that have any kind of ramifications on anybody. We're going to discuss them all. So, of course, but of course, we're in a new we're in a new sport. So, we're in a new sport. We're in the NBA. I got to talk about those standings. We're roaring towards the All-Star Weekend. Every single standing matters. Um, very soon we'll get into how many games back people are when that starts to matter. Probably after All-Star break, we'll get into that. But the NBA, of course, out east, we have the Heat, Bulls, Cavs, Bucks, 76ers, Raptors, Celtics, Nets, Hornets, and Hawks. And out west, we have the Sun, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz, Mavs, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Yes, my New Orleans Pelicans have slid into 10th place, qualifying them for a play-in opportunity. First against the Lakers. Um, but of course, the trade deadline cannot be talked about in the NBA without the trade being discussed. James Harden um, and, and Paul Millsap. 
people just forgot about Paul Millsap and his deal, have been traded to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Um, this trade was tipped off days ago by Brian Windhorst. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski fought against it, saying, oh, no, they're, they're not even talking right now. There's nothing imminent. Windhorst kept saying over and over again, it's imminent. This trade is imminent. And Doc Rivers kind of let the cat out the bag yesterday when he kept uh, he canceled practice. Uh, there's a joke on the internet saying that uh, Doc Rivers canceled practice. He can go say bye to his grandkids, which is absolutely hysterical uh, because Austin, not Austin Rivers, Seth Curry is dating Callie Rivers, daughter of Doc Rivers, and the only grandchildren Doc Rivers has are is from that union. Um, and so that was absolutely hysterical. And they made that joke, which was, like I said, I, it's, I'm trying not to laugh now thinking about it. That was hilarious. Um, but if you cancel practice on the trade deadline day for quote unquote human reasons, you pretty much know that that somebody's about to go. Um, huge, huge monumental trade. And of course, when a trade like this happens, a big trade like this occurs, what is everybody's first thought? Who won the trade? Who won the trade? Normally, in NBA history, in almost every situation, whoever gets the star won. In almost every situation, who won the trade for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the Lakers and the Bucks? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I <laughs> mean, the Lakers. No one even knows the package. It was a historic package. No one even knows the package that the Lakers sent for Kareem. No one knows. No one has any earthly idea what that package was. Why? Because the prize was one person. It was Kareem. Shaq went to our, went to Los Angeles. No one knows went back to Orlando. I believe it was. It might have been true for agency though. Um, no one knows the package that went to Minnesota for uh, for Kevin Garnett. I don't even know the package that went to Seattle, then Oklahoma City for Ray Allen. No idea. None. No earthly idea. I know Andrew Wiggins was involved in the trade for Kevin Love. I know there was more. It wasn't just that. I don't know what Boston sent to Cleveland for Kyrie Irving. And I'm a New Orleans Pelicans fan. We netted Brandon Ingram. That's great. But other than that, that wasn't that great of a trade. Alonzo Ball ain't on the team no more. Josh Hart's not on the team no more. Although upgraded CJ McCullum, but Josh Hart's not on the team no more. That first round, those picks are still existing, but you know, like it was Anthony Davis, and they got a championship. We don't, um, and so when you look at situations like that in NBA history, the suggestion would be who got the best player, who got the superstar, that's who won the trade. I petition you. This is a rare exception. I strongly petition you. The Brooklyn Nets won the trade. Here's why. Yes, the 76ers have James Harden. They do. Yes, the 76ers now possess one of, if not the most deadliest pick and roll in the NBA. The reason why I say one of, if not the most, is because Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo is terrifying. Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden is terrifying. LeBron James, Anthony Davis should be illegal. Um, and so I say there's one of the most terrifying pick and rolls. We might, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, when healthy, that pick and roll is very, very dangerous. CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson is going to be very dangerous. Um, so there's a few great pick and roll duels out there. So that's why I say if, if they're not the best, they're definitely one of the best pick and roll duels in the NBA. 
great congratulations but you're depending on multiple things to win a championship and Philadelphia and 76ers let's play this game when has James Harden ever strung together a playoffs of regular success and did not involve a meltdown? Don't worry, I'll wait. Just kidding, I won't. This is a time show. This show has a time limit. I'm kidding, it doesn't. But I will not wait because they don't have one. Uh, uh, I get it. Joel Embiid is going to be there to help. When James Harden falters, Joel Embiid is going to eventually get hurt. He always does. People talk about Anthony Davis being made of glass. He is. But Joel Embiid is like a small child. He's either sick or has stomach problems. So eventually, one of these two things are rather ugly heads. Either James Harden will falter or Joel Embiid will get hurt or they happen at the same time. And it's not like James Harden is a model of consistency. He's hurt right now, apparently, with a left hamstring tightness. Now, during the hilarious, and I do mean hysterical, all-star draft. Charles Barkley said, oh, he's healthy now. He got traded. He's healthy now. He's putting eyes out on that thing right now. Um, To the, the very well amusement of Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Look at Brooklyn. Look, Brooklyn a week ago had a few problems. Chemistry, because apparently now it's coming out. James Harden was butting heads with Kyrie and Kevin, which I don't know. Kyrie, I get. I get how you butt heads with Kyrie. I don't know how you butt heads with Kevin Durant. His personality doesn't seem very dominating. All he wants to do is play basketball and hoop. Like, I, I, so I don't, I don't understand how you butt heads with Kevin Durant. James Harden has the vaccine, so it's not like it's a vaccine problem. Like, I don't know how you get entangled with Kevin Durant. Whatever, apparently, that was happening. And so you get him out. You have a, he had, he had a chemistry problem. You had a size problem. But a defense problem. And you had no future assets because you traded most of them away for James Harden. And you could use another shooter because Joe Harris is probably lost for the season. He's got to have another ankle surgery. He's probably lost for the year. And so in return, you get 6'11", Andre Drummond, who's averaging nearly 10 rebounds in 18 minutes a game. 6'10", Ben Simmons, who's one of the top three or four defenders in the league. Last two seasons he's played in, who has been first team on defense, and he can finish round around. And Seth Curry, who's having the worst shooting year of his career at 40%. You gave the Brooklyn Nets literally everything they needed. So if Ben Simmons returns to the level of player he was when he left, or even slightly above that version, the Brooklyn Nets are a much better basketball team now than they were a week ago. You have uh, people in the locker room saying that we've got all the drama out. Now we can focus on what we have to do. Like, it is just, it is a very, and I do mean very, positive trade for the Brooklyn Nets. You got a guy under contract. James Harden had not opted into his $47.3 million option until he got traded to the Philadelphia 76ers, and that was part of the deal that he would opt into the contract. He had opted in yet. He kept saying things like, oh, what's about the money? This is about the money, financial ramifications. If I opt out and sign back afterwards, I get more money, which is true. Um, but that was his own motivation. He was, he had a parachute. He had an escape plan. He had a way to eject out of it if he didn't like it. Not mad at him. It's a free country. He, he's a grown adult man. It's his career. Do what you got to do. But now Ben Simmons is 
that has three and a half years left on that contract for the Nets. He's already been signed. This is a very positive day for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you get back Paul Millsap. So somebody who kind of replaced Andre Drummond. Uh, he's not going to do what Andre Drummond does, but he kind of can replace him. And you get James Harden, who made Darren Morey a successful GM, who is now trying to make Darren Morey a successful president of basketball operations in the city of Philadelphia with Elton Brand um, as his general manager. So I've got the Nets winning this trade. Ultimately, especially if Ben Simmons can get his life together. He's already, apparently, according to reports, he's going to join the team on the road trip to Miami, which is a positive step. According to Rich Paul, they will continue to work with his um, therapist, psychiatrist, um, in order to work him back into the team. Apparently, Ben and Kevin Durant have already spoken and that they're on the same page. So this is going to be a very interesting team in Brooklyn. Ben won't step on anyone's toes. He doesn't really want to play offense. He wants to play defense and facilitate, which is perfect for a guy like Kevin Durant and the hurtful guy like Kyrie Irving, two guys who are absolute bucket getters. As opposed to James Harden, he's never worked with a big successfully. Serge Ibaka had to learn how to shoot threes to play with him in Oklahoma City. They shipped Capella out. Now, they say it was for Russ, but James Harden numbers also went up after that. They shipped Capella out uh, for space, and he was just a pick-and-roll lob center. In Brooklyn, he had pick-and-roll lob centers and Claxton and DeAndre Jordan. And now you're going to bring him to the best or second best big man in basketball who doesn't ever really do picking lobs. And James is supposed to kick the ball to Embiid on the block, jog to the opposite side of the court and hope Embiid kicks it out to you if they double. That doesn't feel like the smartest idea on planet Earth. Um, But hey, we're definitely going to see. Philadelphia fans used to be excited. James Harden shoots. That's all you wanted Ben Simmons to do was shoot. So James Harden shoots. You should be very excited about that. Brooklyn fans, you should be over the moon because the Philadelphia 76ers gave you every single thing you were missing to make a National Basketball Association title run. You should stay the Philadelphia 76ers in your speech. Serge Ibaka was a part of a four-team trade. He ended up with the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Bucks with more length, more size, more defending, more shooting. Uh, Serge Ibaka turned himself into a fairly... Um, well-rounded player and now he's going to the Milwaukee Bucks CJ McCollum and it's not happening during the deadline the New Orleans Pelicans um oh backtrack a little bit backtrack a little bit inside of that four-team trade for Serge Ibaka goes to the Bucks um Marvin Bagley the third went to the Pistons um and a couple other ancillary pieces were moving as well but those are the two biggest names involved but back to the, the trade I was, gonna t- I was talking about the Portland Trailblazers and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans came to an agreement for CJ McCollum to join the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a first-round pick with some very odd protections, a future second-round pick, and um, Thomas Sadoransky. Um, now, immediately, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was bounced from the Trailblazers to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Joe Ingles and something else. Um... But New Orleans now has a second 20-point-per-game score consistently. Josh Hart hurts. As a Pelicans fan, that hurt uh, to lose Josh Hart. He was a key member he key member of the team, great rebounder for his position as a guard, great in the fast break. He had, like, this signature step-through fast break dribble or the step-through fast break move that was absolutely amazing. He did it every time, and it worked every time. I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's not even, like, a double cross may I he would just run through the lane get in the crowd do this step swing through 
and finish the layup. And the move worked every single time. He did it every single time. Um, so we're going to miss Josh Hart, miss, um, just miss him on the team, man. Locker room guy, hustle player. I'm on the bench, I'm on the bench. Cool. I'm, I'm starting. Great. You know, it was a great guy, great culture. We're going to miss Nikhil Alexander Walker, too. I, I don't love him as a player. Um, I don't. I felt like he was too shot happy. Um, but according to David Griffin, who's the president of basketball operations, he took it hard. He didn't, he didn't want to go. And so you, you get, okay, I'm moving to Portland, Oregon. And then within a span of 24 hours, oh, yeah, they, they, they traded me again. And now I'm going to um, Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah. So definitely a culture shock from New Orleans, Louisiana, Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, hopefully Nikhil does well there. I want Nikhil to do well there, and I want um, Josh Hart to do well with the Portland Trailblazers. I'm, I'm very excited for both of those landing spots for them. Um, no real feelings towards Thomas Sanarinsky, honestly. He was kind of, he was, he's a piece of Alonzo Ball trade. So no real, yeah, no real love for him. Um, but I hope he does well. I think he's in Portland as well. I hope he does well there also. Kristaps Porzingis was traded from the Dallas Mavericks to the Washington Wizards. Um, he was traded for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, I believe, uh, was the big man involved. Kind of shocking, kind of not. Um, I didn't think Porzingis was tradable in season. I thought they would ride it out with him for the year and then see what happens in the playoffs. He usually plays a lot better in the playoffs. I thought they were going to figure out what happens there. If he gets another big injury, definitely move on from him, etc. But they moved him during the season and got Luka a point guard, which was, like I said, kind of a need to take the ball out of Luka's hands a little bit. Uh, reduce his usage rate and how much he's tiring on the floor by getting him Spencer Dinwiddie, a, a combo guard who can score, who can pass, who can take some of that weight off of his shoulders, maybe good for Luka. Although he dropped 51 points last night, career high. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But a pretty, pretty good move by the Dallas front office. You moved off Porzingis, very sizable contract. You pick up Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, and Davis Bertans. So good move by the Dallas Mavericks front office. Montrez Harrell maybe ultimately fixing a mistake that he made, rumored to have made before the 2020 um, offseason. And that was reportedly he had an $80 million deal from Charlotte on the table. I do not believe that because he signed with the Lakers for less than five. So if you look $70 million in the face and say no, you deserve everything after that. Um, but I truly believe the deal was never in front of him. I think he confirmed that he the deal was never in front of him. It was just one of those rumor things that was out there. Um, and it got widely reported. Of course, he got traded to Charlotte today. Ironically, um, it was the jokes and the memes and stuff ramped up saying, oh, Charlotte got him just one year later at pennies on the dollar compared to what they were offering them. Um, so Montrez Harrell's time in Washington is over and he is sent to the Charlotte Hornets alongside Alamelo Ball and the rest of the crew. Derek White got traded from the very active San Antonio Spurs. I believe they put off four deals on trade deadline. Um, he was traded from the Spurs to the Celtics for a couple of players and a pick which the players escaped my name, escaped my mind at this time. But Derek White is going to go fill a hole in Boston. They do not have a traditional point guard. 
There's so much of the initiating has to come from has to come from Tatum and Brown that they're not able to just score and play defense. Score and play defense. They gotta go about playmaking and setting everybody else up to get their points as opposed to now they can just focus on themselves and play basketball. So big pickup for the Boston Celtics, helping Jason Tatum uh, and Jalen Brown out. Dennis Schroeder has been traded to the Houston Rockets. Um Kind of got nothing for that. I mean, 14.4 points per game this year. Um, thumbed off the Los Angeles Lakers in an effort to get to Boston. Gets to Boston, gets traded at the deadline. Derek White brought in instead of him. He's pretty much who he is at this point, Dennis Schroeder. Another one of those guys that allegedly uh, turned down a pretty decent contract, pretty sizable contract, and then signed for basically nothing. Another one of those players. So... You got to figure something out uh, with his life, his career, but hopefully he gets his career on track and he's able to cash in um, in free agency. And the Los Angeles Lakers do a whole hot hell of a nothing. Oh, man. As a LeBron guy, I'm not even mad at them doing nothing. I'm mad at the reason why they did nothing. The reason why they did nothing was that they have a 2027 first round pick. And you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That 2027 first round pick, I believe, is a middle schooler. Maybe a freshman in high school, but more than likely a middle schooler. And you decided that James Harden, uh, I'm sorry, you decided that Russell Westbrook was not worth a middle schooler. Sorry, my apologies again. John Wall was not worth a middle schooler and Russell Westbrook. I agree with Russell Westbrook is a better basketball player right now than John Wall. Because we've seen Russell Westbrook play NBA basketball in the past two years. We have not been so lucky to see John Wall. So, okay, I get that deal. But apparently there were other deals out there that would have involved that 2027 first round pick. I wonder what those deals were. I wonder, um, you know, it might be reported over the next few weeks what those deals were that entailed that pick. If it's anything that could have changed the life of the Lakers, um, that is just massive mismanagement. But I'm sure any big move was run by LeBron. And so, I'm sure you had to approve of anything happening. There's reports coming out now that the deal was, in fact, agreed upon and done. Um, sending that package, a lesser package, to the Kings for Buddy Heald. Um, only for LeBron to have finished the recruitment of Russell Westbrook and to bring him to L.A. So, now you're stuck with them. Uh, Russell Westbrook, AD, and LeBron will finish the year together. They do not play another year together, but they will finish the year together, and we're gonna and we're gonna see what they can do. Um, they're still in range ish of getting out of the playing tournament. They can get to six or even five with really good basketball. I don't see that happening. I see them being in the playing tournament. Maybe not nine. Maybe they get to ten or seven. Um, ten, t- seven and eight are the ideal playing spots because that's one game. So you can lose the first one, win the second one. You can win the first one, don't have to play a second one. That is the uh, ideal spot if you're going to be in it. It's seven or eight. Um, but that is something that we're definitely going to have to keep our eye on um, how this situation develops in L.A. They're talking about doing the buyout market. Uh, they don't have a roster spot at the moment. So that is very interesting to have to release somebody. But, of course, Kendrick Nunn hasn't played all year. So he'd probably be the candidate for a release if someone were to pop open that they believe can help them um, win games. 
But up next, we're going to shift to our best for the last, which is a conversation about, or just a thank you rather, to Sean White. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about snowboarding legend, the greatest snowboarder of all time, uh, one of the greatest ex-gamers, if not the greatest ex-gamer of all time, one of the greatest American Olympian athletes of all time, especially in the Winter Olympics, Sean White um, officially has finished his professional career, his professional um, snowboarding career. He retired, he stopped skateboarding professionally a while ago. Uh, focus on the focus on the snow, and he ran his last running competition ever. Um, unfortunately, it was a fall. Um, he knew he had to go big because the young guys are going huge. Uh, the guy who took gold ultimately did the triple cork, did three triple corks in competition. He he pulled off one triple cork every single run before he did the first one. It had never been done in competition. Uh, similar to when Sean White was doing stuff in the black leather jacket, black skinny jeans, the black face mask, and the hair poking out the back. And he was doing 1440s into double make twist 1260s into another double make twist 1260 into like getting 20 something feet in the air on a height. He's still pulling out, if not the highest average, top three average in terms of height. Um, no one else is doing that, especially his age. He's 35. Um, First time he won on a medal, uh, there was people in the competition against him. The first time he won a medal, they were infants. Um, so that tells you the, the level of reign he had over the sport. The reason I really started watching X Games was because of Sean White. Um, absolutely spectacular what he's able to do. Insane. I mean, like he's got several signature styles that no one else was doing before him. Uh, for instance, enter, entering the super pipe jumping over the wall no one was doing that people were just getting to the wall and dropping in he literally was bouncing off to land and to get him extra speed into the first hit um now everyone's doing now it's common practice now no one was doing that before him for a while in the x game people the announcers would talk about how no one else in snowboarding is doing that jump into the first hit flying out you know that was no one was doing that the double the double make twist 1260 no one was doing anything like that. And people pull it out um, every once in a while, but the Double Mix Twist 1260 is Sean White's trick. Um, the Double Mix Twist 1440, he's done that before as well. Just the level of elevation he did for the sport. There's the famous interview, or I think it was on CNN, after he won in Rio or Greece, one of the two. Or he won in Olympics. It was, I can't think of what year it was, but he won. Um, his first medal and he was talking about how he was partying with the stewardess and getting drinks and I think it was Nancy Nancy Grace um, was on CNN at the time and she asked are we getting drinks you're only 19 he said it's Mountain Dew baby I mean it, he was just electric he was perfect for the sport of snowboarding never really had any controversies um, 
you know, even Michael Phelps kind of fell out of favor with the whole marijuana thing for a while. Michael Phelps and Sean White never had that to my recollection. Absolute dynamite for the sport is the reason why, I mean, people were taking photos with him. Competitors were taking photos with him saying that you're the reason I started snowboarding. Fans are saying that you're the reason I started watching snowboarding. It's going to be weird. Now, even watching X Games recently, he hasn't been competing in. It was weird not waiting on, okay, the score to beat is 96 and Sean White's going last. You know, it's kind of like, I remember that when he got the perfect 100. He, was, he wasn't first. And I remember that black, le- black skinny jeans, black leather jacket, black face mask, all black helmet with just his hair poking out, black boots, black board, I think. And he just goes out there and gets 100. He needed like a 98 to win. And gets 100 and went S Games Gold with the back-to-back double McTwist. It was the greatest run I've ever seen in my life. And especially considering the stakes and the pressure. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It, it was the perfect snowboarding career. Would it have been better if he laid down that run? Because before he fell, that was going to be a, it's going to be hard for the judges knowing the circumstances to not make him number one. Um, and it was going really, really well. He, he stomped the 1440. He was stomped the second 1440, and he was trying to come out of that. I think he lost a little too much speed. Couldn't pull it around that third hit. Um, but, of course, the third hit would have set up the double mix twist 1260, and then probably either a single cork 1440 or just a pure rotation 1440, and dare the uh, the officials not to make a number one. But he fell um, instead of set up for the third hit, which is always that middle trick. He struggled to get out of the first two hits, and he got out of the first two. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to roll. And then he, he didn't pull it to the third one. Um, but absolutely amazing career. Um, it cannot be understated how great the career of Sean White really was. Happy retirement. Go get married. You got a great family. They showed they showed the family uh, in Denver, I believe, uh, after he got his first rundown. Go enjoy the family. Go enjoy uh, the girlfriend. Go get married. Ha- have a family. Be an ambassador for the sport. Especially in the United States, the Japanese contingent was very strong. Uh, him and another guy, the only two Americans in the field. So go be an ambassador for the sport. Um, absolutely great, great career. The greatest career in snowboarding history of one Mr. Sean White. But that is all we have for today. Absolutely a jam-packed show. I'm glad you guys stuck around with it, stuck around with me for it. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.